your goodness. We thank you for your grace and for your kindness toward us. And Lord God, we just pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that is here. We thank you for the specials that our children prepared for us, Lord God. We thank you for the songs that we were able to sing together, Lord God, that reminded us, dear Lord, of, of this day that we're trying to focus in on, Lord God, this Christmas season. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. I pray that you would illuminate our minds, Lord God, and that you would help us not just to hear from you, but that we would respond to you in faith. In Jesus' good name, everybody said, amen. amen. If you need an outline, do we have any? We have outlines. If you need an outline, you don't have one, just raise your hand really quickly. I want to make sure everybody has an outline. If you don't have one, it's good for you to be able to follow along as I go through the introduction. You can follow along with that. You can also take some notes, answer some questions. And as I encourage you always, this is a good opportunity for you to be able to grow in your faith and to help someone else grow in their faith. And so the things you're learning, you know, when the Bible calls us to make disciples, what does a disciple do? A disciple simply does, and they share what they are learning. And so it's a good opportunity for you to do that. And I know um, myself, I have a decent memory, but I can't memorize everything. So sometimes it helps me out to write those things down. So these outlines are helpful for that. Keep those hands hands up if you don't have an outline want to make sure that you get one and so we are continuing, and it may seem kind of weird, right, because I just, you know, we're celebrating our Christmas focus today, and I just read the Easter chapter, right? Like, that's, did something happen? Did Bishop miss something? No, I didn't miss anything, but what I, what I want to do is we're going to focus in on Christmas, and we're going to look at the birth of Jesus as we already have, but we're not going to stay there because ultimately it's not solely about the birth of Christ, right? It's about the life of Christ. It's about the crucifixion of Christ, and it is definitely about the resurrection of Christ. And so in, in us continuing on in our series in the gospel of John, this is um, the second to last chapter. And so we're looking at the resurrection. So if you look down at your outline here, you can follow along. And it says there, as we come closer to Christmas day, it is important that we realize a few things of most importance. The book we hold as the highest authority for our lives is one that from beginning to end declares miracles and supernatural occurrences. Our faith is not meant to be blind, but it is meant to be faith. And so what I want you to get is that when you look at this Bible, right, this Bible, this, this, this scriptures that we hold as highest authority over our lives, in the beginning it says what? In the beginning God, right? And he created the heavens and the earth. That sounds pretty miraculous, doesn't it? Maybe. I don't know. Y'all awake? Y'all with me here? I'm just saying, right, that, that sounds pretty miraculous, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, a few, a few months ago we, there was a... Um, there was a debate by, you know, the science guy and, and another Christian um, gentleman. And so in this debate, the, you know, after they debated for a while talking about science and scripture and all this kind of stuff, you know, there came to a part and, you know, Bill Nye, the, the science guy, you know, was asked the question, you know, so where did everything start? And he was like, well, you know, we really don't know scientifically. We don't know. And Kent Ham, he was like, well, you know, Bill, we do have a book that says where it all started, right? We do have a book that tells you where everything came from, where everything started. But here's the thing. In order, the reason why there are some people who can't embrace it is because what? It's because it starts out with a supernatural occurrence. It starts out with something that isn't just easily acceptable, right? And so the reality is, and, and the beauty of it is for me, and I, and I hope for you, when you think about the beginning of creation, nobody really has the answer, right? As, as far as in, in, the, in the natural sense, nobody can go back and prove it. You know, it's funny because 
I was I was watching a, a, a show, and and you guys know that I pray I pray for Bill Mayer on the phone because I really am praying that God would save him. Um, he is such a a vocal, outspoken hater of all religion and all things God, and. I was watching a video, and you know, it's funny, because you look at these guys that are so smart, right? They're so, I mean, they seem to be so smart. They talk about Christianity as a religion that is for people that don't think, and so, you know, they go through all that, and then what they're saying is that what you can do literally now, because science has, you know, advanced so much, is that you can, you can because of the way the sky looks, right, they've, they've been recording this, and so now you can basically hit rewind. And you can go all the way back, and, and what we know today is that the that the gal, you know, that the universe it continues to expand. And so what they're saying is, you can hit re rewind on this, and you can play it all the way back until what? Until the universe goes back to nothing because it goes shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And I'm and, and I'm fascinated because I'm like, okay, all that is all good. So you got back to a universe that shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until it was nothing there. And how did you come up with the Big Bang theory? I don't know. How did you rewind all the way to nothing and then you say, well, this is what happened. You don't know what happened, right? You have no real idea what happened, but those are smart people. That's how they think. Mm -hmm. All right, that's going to go over here. Let's go on. Let's move on here. <laughs> have a lot of smart people in the room today. But anyway, um, glory to, I'm just playing. I'm joking. I'm joking. Y'all are smart. Amen. But here's the thing. The thing is, we hold a book in our hands that is supernatural. There are supernatural occurrences. You know, people trying to figure out Noah, right? They're trying to figure out this flood and how this happened, right? I mean, they're looking at these things and, you know, science tries to say this. They look at, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea. Like, these are supernatural occurrences, things that you cannot explain. And when we come to, the, to today, you know, what we're focusing in on is Christmas Day, right? And so when we look at Christmas, if you look at your outline here, Christmas which was established by the Roman Catholic Church in the 4th century AD in response to Saturnalia, which was a pagan a holiday <clears throat> celebrating Saturn, the god of agriculture, is a time that Christians celebrate one of the most significant and supernatural events in history, and that is the Incarnation. The Incarnation, it comes from a Latin word that means in the flesh, and what the incarnation says is something that is equally supernatural as what? As in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because what it says is that God divested himself, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, divests himself of glory, of authority, and he comes and he does what? He puts on flesh. He comes into this earth. I want you to think about how amazing this is because he doesn't do like, you know, the Terminator. You remember the first Terminator? And you remember when, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in and he comes from, you know, that time into this time and he comes in here. He's like a full-grown man. Well, if you think about Adam and Eve, and this is going to throw you throw something out there. You think about Adam. How did Adam come into this earth? Adam was created a grown man. Amen. Right? And so, you know, you have those two people, you know, again, smart people. They're like, well, the earth is really old. And so my question is this. When you saw Adam the first time, was Adam like a 30-year-old man or was he a one-day-old person? Smart people in the room. Think about it now. Right? But, was he, but, but how did he look? Did he look one day old? Of course he didn't look one day old. And so is God not able to, anyway, that, that, that's just a little bone out there just to make y'all think about something. But what we, what we realize is this, is that when God the Son comes into this earth, how does he come into this earth? He doesn't enter into this earth with what? He doesn't enter into this earth with the full faculties of a grown man, but he comes into this earth in the form of a baby. Why does this matter so much? 
Because God shows us how amazingly sovereign and powerful he is. Because guess what? When he was born, guess who came to see him? Some guys called the Magi, right? These wise men came because they saw this supernatural something in the sky. And they were like, man, we see the sun. We see the star that is showing us about the Savior that's born. And then guess what? There's a guy by the name of Herod, I believe. And what does he do? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm excited about this, baby. Come and let me know where he is. Why? Because the superpower of our world decided that he put a target on who? On that baby Jesus. He put a target on the king of the Jews who was born and what God shows us is that he can sovereignly preserve his plan and he doesn't even need a grown man to do it. Are you hearing me? He can do it himself. He can take care of these things. And so why is the birth of Jesus so important for us? Well, here's the thing, because we all, you know, we get caught up on this kind of stuff. And I was, I was reading a devotional um, the other day by someone who I respect as a Christian leader. And, I, and listen, and I, I study everything that I can, and I look into, you know, stuff to find out, you know, um, you know what the truths are, because I don't want to present anything. And let me just tell you something. I don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. Amen. I'm just saying, I don't think he was born on December 25th, but I'm going to tell you this. Can I tell you something? I don't know when he was born. Amen. Nobody knows when he was born. Nobody is sure when he was born. You know, there was a, uh, you know, there, there was a theologian, and um, his name was Sextus Julius Africanus. What a name that is. Amen, right? And so this guy, he went through and he figured out that, you know, he thought, well, Jesus was born on December 25th based on what he assumed to be the time that Jesus was conceived. And so, you know, he had a bunch of plausible stuff, but people, you know, some people rejected it. But uh, anyway, what they did was they decided, hey, we'll take December 25th. And there was something that I just said a few minutes ago. There was this day called Saturnalia, and it was, the, it was a celebration of, you know, Saturn, right? The god of agriculture. And, what, and this is the thing that struck out to me when I was studying, when I was studying and I was reading on this particular thing, uh, on this particular day. And it was when this pastor, he was writing, and he said, you have to realize that the Catholic Church was trying to combat the idolatry in the Roman world. Are you hearing me? And what they did was they said, we're not going to sit here and allow them to worship the God of agriculture because there is the God of creation that needs to be worshipped. And so what we're going to do is based upon this date that may not be absolutely correct is we are going to sanctify a day and we're going to set it apart. And instead of celebrating Saturn and the God of agriculture, we're going to celebrate Jesus Christ, the son of God and his birth as being the God of creation. Sounds all right to me. And so what they did was they decided that they are going to celebrate this day. And so now, you know, we have arguments. Listen to me when I tell you this. We have arguments over Christmas Day. Should we celebrate it? Should we not celebrate it? Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you want to celebrate it and it doesn't offend you, celebrate it. If you don't want to celebrate it because it offends you, don't celebrate it. Does that settle the argument? Right? I mean, like, who cares? I, you know, do, do, do we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Well, I don't know. Angels rejoiced. I'm just saying. I mean, I think it's something exciting. Let me put it to you like this. If you don't have, and I think this is in your outline here. Look, 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 at, look at the last paragraph here. In John 1.14, the scriptures declare to us that the word being Jesus, who is the word, God the Son, became flesh. And here's what I want you to get, is that, it, that this is both supernatural and worthy of celebrating. And we must realize that without Jesus' birth, hear me when I say this, there is no death. No salvation from sin, and there is no resurrection, hope of eternal life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
The reason why the incarnation becomes so very important for us, the reason why we should, and I'm not saying you have to celebrate it. As a matter of fact, I would say it like this, the same way that I would say about Easter. You and I don't need to wait until one day a year to celebrate the birth of Christ. The incarnation of Jesus is something that is important for us to celebrate at all times because it is a supernatural occurrence that is a foundational truth for the church. Hear me when I say this. The incarnation is that the almighty God came down to this earth, became a man. He was born of a virgin. All of these things matter, right? These are all very important. That's what we celebrate. See, we think about the baby in the manger. I mean, our three, our three to five-year-olds, weren't they adorable? Right, with their little moo moo hats and you know they you know didn't even know they forgot what they were doing some of them were like this and you know that and, and you know they're they're adorable right and so here's the thing when we think about christmas we want to just get caught up in the baby in a manger understand the reason why i showed that video is because he didn't remain a baby in a manger but we cannot bypass the baby in the manger we cannot bypass the supernatural occurrence that was what we celebrate as Christmas or the birth of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this, this is why it becomes so important for us. And this is the big idea that I want you to get today. And I, and I want to tie in the both of them because the birth of Jesus is where we start. The life of Jesus is how we continue. The death of Jesus is where some thought it ended. But the resurrection of Jesus is where we are today and where we can celebrate because he didn't remain in a grave. Amen. Because no one could keep him down. Death could not hold him down. And so we celebrate not just the birth of our Savior, not just the life of our Savior, not just the death of our Savior, but we celebrate the resurrection of our glorious Savior. And so this is the big idea for you. Jesus' life is miraculous from conception to resurrection, and it should fill us with hope. Can someone say amen to that? It should fill us with hope. If there's one thing that I, that I believe is, is so very important for us is that we get this. If there's one thing that I, that I believe that Christmas should be about for us in a big way, it is about hope. Because when Jesus entered into this earth, he brought what? Hope. He brought hope to so many that were waiting for the deliverance of Israel, who were waiting for the establishment of the kingdom, a hopeless people that have been oppressed because of their sin. Jesus comes in to the picture, and then he lives for these 33 years. He has a ministry that is about three years, about three years long, and during that time, he is communicating hope after hope after hope in a kingdom that is to come, and then he dies, which is what we talked about last week. And it seemed like all hope was gone. But three days later, he rises. And now hope returns. When I look at the life of our Savior, whether it's in his birth or in his resurrection, it should bring us hope. No matter where it is, it should bring us hope to the reality of God's power and God's ability. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the resurrection of Jesus gives us confidence in the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus gives us confidence in the scriptures. Here's what I want you to get. At this point, in all of the gospel accounts, if you read any of the gospel accounts, at this point, we see zero hope in anyone that Jesus was resurrecting. Are you hearing me? Nobody went to the grave to say, hey, you know what? Jesus said he was rising in three days. We're going to go check that out. Nobody did that. They went there to do what? They went there to bring spices. They, they were burial things. They, they didn't go there with a robe, you know. They didn't go there with clean clothes. Hello, somebody. 
They didn't go there with anything like that. They didn't go there with any kind of hope. They went there with complete, with, with, with complete and utter despair because their Savior had died. Because the Messiah, the one that they had been calling Lord, the one that they had come to understand, well, this is the guy we've been waiting for. He was done. And so we see this, and this becomes very important, because Jesus, who is the Word, spoke of his resurrection, and you can write this scripture down if you're taking notes. Psalm 16, verse 10, alludes to this truth as well. His body would not see corruption. His Lord would not leave him in shield. And so these are the illusions. Jesus spoke about the resurrection, and he continuously communicated, and his disciples didn't get it. See, here's the thing that I want you to understand. The resurrection of Jesus, I said this, gives us confidence in the scriptures. Look at verse 9 here. It says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he might rise, that he must rise again from the dead. And what I want you to realize is that up until this point, their eyes had not been illuminated the way that they needed to. And so they didn't realize the power and the authority of the scriptures. But the resurrection does what? It solidifies the truth of the scriptures. You see, you want to know the reason why I can easily, I'm just saying, I can easily believe in Genesis chapter 1. It's because of John chapter 20. Are you hearing me? Because there is bona fide proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's not, the, that's not the only reason. There's tons and tons of prophecies in your word, in your Bible that were spoken years and years before Jesus ever walked upon the scene. And they were all fulfilled. But here's what I want you to know. Is that when I look at the resurrection, it gives me confidence in the scriptures. And all of us should be doing what? We should all be trying to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And here's my question. Where is it that we are going to grow? How is it that we are going to grow? Are we going to grow because of our feelings and our emotions? Is that where our confidence should be? You know, because we feel something, right? Like, I feel that. I don't know. Sometimes you don't feel that. Hello. Sometimes those feelings are not there. At certain moments, those feelings are there. I can tell you right now, we were in the middle of worship today. There was a point in the service I was like, man, I feel like we're doing a show here. I didn't feel like we were engaging. And then there was a moment that I felt it. Amen. We got to a point there. But can I tell you something? Even when I wasn't feeling it, the power of the words we were singing were still the same. The words didn't change because we were singing about a resurrected Savior. We were singing about a Savior who came into this earth. And so whether I'm feeling it or not, see, the thing that I want you to get is that your faith does not grow because of your feelings or the lack thereof. Your faith grows because of what? Because of the scriptures. You see, you can't build your faith upon what the pop culture says about your Savior. Your faith needs to be built in the scriptures. Let me throw myself out there as well. You cannot build your faith based upon what your pastor or teachers are teaching you solely from the scripture. I am a guide. That is about it. I am not the end. Hello, somebody. I'm there to communicate. You know what I love? I'm going to tell you what I love, believe this or not. I love it when people come up to me after service, and, and, or not after service necessarily, but they may send me an email or whatever, and they're like, man, I was just reading those scriptures you were talking about. See, sometimes y'all are cheating because you know that I'm in John, so you just read that, right? I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. None of y'all typically do that. There's only a few people that go ahead and they read ahead. But I'm, I'm talking about when I'm preaching on a subject and someone is like, man, you know, this, I, I was just thinking about that. Or we were having a conversation and, and this was what was going on. And, and that is encouraging because you know what it shows me? It shows me that you are growing in your relationship with Christ and that I am simply connected with a God who's connected to you and confirming what you're growing. And that's what should be happening. Amen. That's why when people talk about, you know, they, that, that they're 
spiritual growth and they want to connect that to their church. Let me tell you something. Your spiritual growth, I said this when we were in John chapter 15, it is not based upon the preachers and teachers that stand up here. It is based upon you being connected to the vine and that is Jesus Christ because he is the one who builds you up in your faith. It is in the scriptures that we're supposed to grow, and the resurrection allows us to do that. See, the resurrection of Jesus has the power to solidify our faith in the word of God. When we realize that Jesus promised it would happen, the impossible came to pass based upon his words, making all of his word sure. Did you hear that? Let me read that again for you. I know you missed it. I'm going to read it again. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to solidify our faith in the word of God. When we realize that Jesus promised it would happen. Here's the thing. He promised he was going to rise from the dead. The impossible came to pass based upon his words, making all of his word sure. See, when Jesus was communicating, when Jesus was speaking, when Jesus was declaring who he was, when he, when he, when he got up in the middle of the, of the synagogue and he read from Isaiah and he said, you know, and today these scriptures are fulfilled. When he did all of those things, it was about the fulfillment of scripture. And so when Jesus declares that he's going to rise from the dead and he does, you know what he does? He solidifies every other word that's ever been spoken by God. Because he rose, he gives us the full confidence in the word of God. The second thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, multiple witnesses affirm the resurrection of Jesus, which affirms our faith. Multiple witnesses affirm the resurrection of Jesus, which affirms our faith. Let's read verses 11 through 29 here. It says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept she stood she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one on the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid then they said to her woman why are you weeping she said to them because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him now when she had said this they turned around and saw she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not and, and, and did not, and, and did not um, know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, I want you to pause for a moment because I want you to realize the level of doubt that was going on in Mary's heart. Many people ask, why was it that Mary didn't recognize Jesus? And one of the reasons that they say could have been, doesn't give us any explanation, so I'm not going to try to give you a right answer. But one of them could have been that her eyes were so filled with tears that she didn't recognize him. The fact of the matter is, we know that she was weeping. We know that because they're asking her, you know, why is she, you know, they're, they're, they're asking her why she's weeping. So obviously we know that that's the truth. But here is the reality. The reality is, is that she is overwhelmed with sorrow. She's overwhelmed with doubt. She didn't say her Savior had risen. She's like, where did you lay him? She wanted to go to where his body was laid because they did not believe in the resurrection. This is so monumental to our faith today. Understand this with me, please. And so Jesus says this to her, and, 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 so, and, and she, verse, verse um, 16 here, he says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she, that she had seen the Lord and that he had appeared and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, or peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now notice again, this guy is doubting. It's not like there's this big faith revival that's taking place. Verse 26 says, And the eighth day his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, and Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen? And so multiple witnesses affirm the resurrection of Jesus, which affirms our faith. You can write this scripture down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19. The apostle Paul is speaking of the resurrection here. And this is scripture that I'm going to read Monday morning in our prayer call. But nonetheless, he's speaking here about the resurrection, the importance of the gospel, the importance of the resurrection to our faith. And Paul says, if Jesus is not written, is not risen, we are the most pitiable among men. He's saying if our hope is in Jesus alone, then we should be pitied if he's not risen, right? What Paul is saying is he's saying, look, he's saying in, the, in, in, the, in this thing, if, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, hear me when I say this, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, if Jesus is not today seated in the throne of glory at the right hand of the Father, if that's not true, then you know what? We're all going to hell. We've all just wasted, what, an hour and some change, uh, two, an hour and 30, an hour and 40 minutes, amen, so... We've just wasted an hour and 40 minutes. Every time you come to church, you waste your time. If Jesus is not risen, the beauty of it is he's risen indeed. The beauty of it is that our faith is not futile. The beauty of it is that his resurrection shows us the reality of God's power. See, we either have a great reason for our faith or we have no reason for our faith. When we look at the resurrection, the resurrection is the great reason for our faith. And I want you to know something. If the resurrection is real, judgment is also real. Are you hearing me? If the resurrection is real, then that's one part of the gospel. And so the gospel communicates that we are sinners who are separated from God. And that because of our sin, we are not just separated from him here and now, but we are on our way to an eternal destiny of hell. Because what? Because we violate the laws of God. That's what the gospel says in the bad news. It says that we are all separated from him and that nothing good that we do, that no religious activity that we partake in, that no good deed that we do can outdo the bad. And so that's the reason why Jesus 
had to die in our place. That is the reason why he had to suffer on the cross so that way we could put our faith in him. And as we put our faith in him, then we are no longer fearful of hell because what? Because now we have a new identity. Now we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is what the gospel says. And so the resurrection is there to prove to us everything that God says in his word is truth. And everything that he says will come to pass. And so the things that we should fear, we should fear. Amen? The things that we should rejoice in, we should rejoice in, and we can have full assurance of those things. See, Jesus appears, notice this, in, John, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul goes over a list as well. But Jesus appears first to Mary, he then appears to the 10 disciples, then, the, then to the disciples with Thomas, he appears to 500 others, and finally, he appears to the apostle Paul after his resurrection. Now, notice this. Jesus made sure that the ones who had no hope of his resurrection, no clear understanding of what the scriptures foretold, were the ones who saw him for credibility's sake. Now notice this. If I had a real expectation of you doing something for me and you did it, right, it would be like, okay, that was expected. But if I had zero expectation of you doing something for me, if I had zero hope you were going to do something for me, and then you do that something for me, that means something deeper inside of my heart. And what I want you to realize is that God is not unwise. What God does is he takes the doubters and makes them believers. He takes the ones that walk with him for three. Now, look what he does. He appears to the ones who walk with him intimately for three years, who doubted his resurrection. He, he shows himself to them first. He makes sure that they see him clearly. He makes sure that they are the ones that are the first ones to say, oh, yeah, that was him for real. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He does what? He shows himself to 500 other people. And what Paul does is he's like, he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's like, and some of them are still alive today. In other words, what Paul was saying when those scriptures were written, hey, go talk to them. See, this is the reason why the faith that we have in the resurrection is bona fide. This is the reason why the faith that we have in the resurrection should keep us growing in our faith, right? Our faith in Jesus' resurrection is not blind but substantiated by many witnesses. A doubter made believer and much blood that has been shed attesting to his resurrection. Jesus declares a blessing upon those who believe without seeing. And so you know what? All of us that are in this place that believe, Jesus says we're blessed if we believe because we never saw him. Because we never had the opportunity to say, hey, I want to put my hands in the, in, in, in the scars. Hello. We, didn't, we don't have that opportunity. And so he declares a blessing over everyone that's going to believe later on that all of us are going to walk in that blessing of relationship, of intimacy with him. That we can look at these scriptures and we can be encouraged in our faith. The last thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the resurrection of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. is a clear, a clear call to active faith. The resurrection of Jesus is a clear call to active faith. Look at verses, verse 30 over here and verse 31. And it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verse 31 has been our memory verse. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a clear call to active faith. See, here's, here's what I want you to get. Is that the apostle John, he wasn't just writing another gospel so people could know about the life of Jesus. That wasn't it. He was a true evangelist at heart. 
And he wrote all of these things with one overarching purpose. And it was that those who read these things would believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in his name, that they would have life. Are you here? This was the purpose of John's gospel. He, he recorded certain statements from Jesus. He recorded certain miracles of Jesus. He even says here that if everything was written, I mean, it, it couldn't have been written, all of the things that Jesus did. Not every single thing was written down. They couldn't be contained. But the things that were written is so that way we could believe. And so we're called into an act of faith. We're called into what? To having a saving, solid, and substantiated faith in Jesus. See, the resurrection, get this church, is not just a historical event that should incite our faith, but power that is present and operative in our lives. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I want you to look there because I want you to see how the resurrection power of Jesus should be operating in every one of our lives. It's not just a historical event that we say, yeah, this happened on such and such a day. We celebrate it one time a year. That's the reason why I decided that I wasn't just going to preach a purely Christmas message, but that I would continue on in this because even in the time of Christmas, we should be doing what? We should be celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. We should be celebrating who Jesus is and what he's done. And so Romans chapter 6, when you got to say so, and it says, beginning in verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so we're speaking of his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised, you could say resurrected, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now check this out. Even so we, say we, also should walk in the newness of life. For if... We have been united together in the likeness of his death. In other words, we didn't die on the cross, but there is a likeness that happens when I put my faith in Jesus. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also, what? Live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Amen? Last two verses, for death, for the death that he died, he died, he died to sin, he's died for sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we're supposed to be living an active faith, not a dead faith because we don't have a dead savior. We don't serve a dead God. We have been crucified with Christ. When we came to Jesus, if you had put your faith in him, then what happened was you put your faith in him and you experienced this death sentence to your flesh. And what happened is you have come to him in that, and not only did you experience a death sentence to your flesh, but your spirit was given life. And so now God is able to do what? God is able to live and move and act and do things through us. 
That's what should be happening. We should be experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives. We should no longer be bound in our sin. Listen, we may struggle with sin. Struggling with sin and being bound to sin are two different things. They're not one and the same. To have a struggle against a sin, to battle against something. I mean, come on, man. You look at Peter. I mean, this guy was an apostle. Hello, somebody. And I'm not even going to talk about before. I'm not going to talk about before the Holy Spirit came. I'm talking about after the Holy Spirit came. You read the book of Galatians and the apostle Paul says what? He says, man, I had to rebuke this guy to his face. Because what? Because he struggled with racism. Are you here? He struggled with things. He wasn't, he, he, he was battling this. It wasn't like, you know, he was just, I'm just going to give into this. No, there's a battle that we must go on. And, but what we, but we, what we realize is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can walk in what? The newness of life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, I can live a new life. I don't have to live that old life because you know what? He's not reminding me of that old life. He's not reminding me of those old days. He's reminding me of what? Of who I am in him. He's reminded me of one day, the day that I put my faith in him. He's reminded me of one day, the day that he died on that cross and the day that he rose. That's the day that he reminds you and I of. That's the day that he wants to keep playing over and over in our minds. The day that we were adopted, the day that we became his. That's the day that he plays over and over. That way we can live in what? The newness of life and live according to the power of the spirit. See, here's the thing. Belief in Jesus as the Christ. It says that we believe what? That he is the Christ, that he is the son of God. And so we believe as a Christ that he is our substitute. He's the one who dies for us. When I believe that Jesus is the son of God, I believe what? I believe that God the son, that the second part of the Trinity entered into this earth. And so what do I believe? I believe something supernatural. That's what I'm declaring when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. To believe, I love this, when you look up the, those words there in, in the gospel of John, what it means to believe. The word believe, it means to believe to the extent to have complete trust and reliance. Are you hearing that? To believe to the extent that you have complete trust and reliance. Not just a little bit of trust. Not just like I trust you with some parts of my life. No. Complete trust. And not just trust, but reliance. Like I depend on you. Like I want you to think about reliance in this sense. If, if, you, if you needed me to tow your car, right? And let's just say that I had a tow truck or whatever the case is. You know, I don't have a tow truck. I have my car. And I come over to you and I'm going to tow your car and I do what, you know, I, I do what many people have done. Not many all in here maybe, but I don't know. I get something real strong like a chain or a real thick rope. Uh-huh. And I tie it somewhere solid on your car and solid on my car. And then I hit that gas, and then, you know, we start to go together. And you know what's happening here? What's happening is as I'm going here and the tension is on that rope, there is complete reliance that what? That I'm going to keep you going. That's what you're relying on. There's no, you're, you're not, you, there, your car isn't moving. You can't do anything except hit the brakes. Hello, somebody. Right? And so what happens is in my relationship with Christ, it is complete reliance, not reliance in some parts. It's not, I love the analogy that I just gave you. You know why? Because that car that is being pulled, it has no ability in and of itself to do anything apart from the car in front of it. Apart from the power of the car that's pulling it, it has no ability. And you know what's important? It's very important that you have a couple of things down. The one is this, is that your connections are right. Hello, somebody. The other thing is that the person inside this car knows how to use the brakes correctly. Hello. Or else you're going to have some real problems, right? You're going to have some accidents that are going to happen. That's, listen, I don't advise anyone to do that. If you need a tow somewhere, call a tow truck. All right? Don't be cheap and crazy because it may cost you more later on. But here's the deal. 
The deal is that we don't have strengthening of ourselves. We're not great people. We're not powerful all by ourselves. We are needy of a Savior. And the beauty of it is, is that he gives us full and complete access to the fullness of his resurrection power. And he wants us to be completely and utterly reliant upon him. In verse 21 to 22 in the Gospel of John, he says what? He says, as I send you as the Father sent me. And here's what I want you to know, is that he sent his disciples, and as a result, we as disciples, guess what? We don't get to sit back and just be chilling, no. We are sent the same way they were sent. And so we go forward in an active faith to present Jesus under this world. And it reminds us that we have been sent with the power to do what? To live active faith as we witness to his resurrection power. Can I tell you something? The resurrection power is seen most clearly in our lives when we live and we walk in obedience and in faith to our God. That's it. As we live this truth out, that's when we see the resurrection power of Jesus operating in us. And so my closing question for you is this. How are you challenged by the reality of the resurrection? Maybe you're challenged because you're not living in that active faith in your life. Maybe you're challenged because... You're struggling in your faith. Maybe you're challenged because you don't really believe. You don't really trust the scriptures. You're not really sure about the scriptures. I don't know where it is that you may struggle in your faith. Maybe you've never, ever even put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you put your faith in Jesus when you were a little kid one day, but now you realize you haven't been walking with Jesus. You haven't been trusting in him. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus calls us all to do what? When we hear the word of God, it is to respond. When we hear the scriptures, it's not to sit back and say, okay, I heard a word today and now I can go home. I checked that off my religious list to do. No, it is what am I doing with this word? Am I going to live this resurrection power in my life? Am I going to live a life that is committed to Jesus? And so look, there's two people in the building. There are the ones that have put their faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then you need to check yourself. Am I living a life that is completely relying upon God? Is there an area in my life that I'm not relying on him? Is there an area in my life that I'm not trusting his power or his ability? Is there an area in my life that I'm trying to do it on my own? Is there an area in my life that I'm trying to depend on my own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. That's what we need to do when we're looking at our lives because I already put faith in him for salvation. So it's not like I need to get resaved. Hello. But then there's the other person in the building. There's the other person in the building that you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You haven't trusted Jesus. Listen, just because you come to church doesn't mean you trust Jesus. Hello. Just because you read your Bible doesn't even mean you trust Jesus. Hello. You could be looking for some good information. There's some good information here even for people that don't believe. Hello. The truth is, you have to ask yourself that question, have I put my faith in Jesus? So two groups of people, am I completely relying on him? What areas do I need to rely on him? And for the other one that is in here that may not know Jesus, today God calls you to put your faith in him and to trust him with all of your life. And what a beautiful gift it is for you to be able to receive the greatest gift, which is salvation, as we celebrate the greatest gift that was given for us in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet, let's bow our heads today. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so, so very much today for my brothers and my sisters in this place. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that has been to share your word in the gospel of John with my brothers and sisters. And today, specifically on this resurrection, I just thank you, Lord God, for the power that is operative in our lives, God.
I thank you for the power that is available to our lives. And today, Father God, I just lift up every person that is in here. I pray for the group of people in here that have put their faith in you, that are your children. But Lord God, they are still lacking total reliance upon you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I pray, Lord God, that whatever area it is that they are struggling to trust you in, I pray that today that they would lay that down before you and that they would take up faith, my God, that they would take up hope. And that they would realize that even when it seems like all hope is gone, there is hope in you, my Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, against doubts. I pray against fear. I pray against unforgiveness. I pray, Lord God, against division in hearts and in homes. And I ask you, Lord God, to bring healing, Lord Jesus. Father God, and I pray, Lord God, for those that are in this place that may not be walking with you, Father God, that don't have their faith in you, that haven't trusted you. I pray that today that they would repent of their sin, my God. I pray that today that they would confess their desperate need for you. I pray that today, Lord God, that they would trust you with their lives and that even as I'm praying, Lord God, that they would begin confessing to you, my God, that they would begin to call upon your name, God, that they would trust you as the Savior, that they would trust you as the Lord, that they would trust you as God, and that they would not just pray a prayer, but Father God, that from this moment on, that they would begin to live for your glory and for your honor, my God. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in each and every one of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' great and glorious name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise as Pastor Chad makes his way up here. I just want to make a really quick announcement. Um, 